What am I doing? <laughs> King's Kids, if you're in second grade on down, we've got a junior church organized for you. It's more organized than I expected, so good job. Thank you for filling in today while we've got some people out. Right. Way to be front row. I appreciate that. Gold star. Miss Ann is doing our scripture reading this morning, so if you'll turn to Proverbs 25 and follow along. We're reading Proverbs 25 and talking about it this morning. Thank you. You're reminding me to, to thank all the ladies' ministry for helping Marty and Lydia with their stuff, uh, your gratitude, your gifts to me. Thank you for spearheading that. We appreciate uh, all the ways you've appreciated us. So, oh, yes, thank you, Ms. Ann. You're most welcome. That's not why I called you up here today. That's all right. But it worked. So, <laughs> Proverbs 25. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, transcribed. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter as the heavens for height and earth for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. Take away the dross from the silver, and there comes out a vessel for the smith. Take away the wicked before the king, and his throne will be satisfied, established in righteousness. Do not claim honor in the presence of the king, and do not stand in the place of great men, for it is better that it be said to you, come up here than for you to be placed lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. Do not go out hastily to argue your case. Otherwise, what will you do in the end when your neighbor humiliates you? Argue your case with your neighbor and do not reveal the secret of another, or he who hears it will reproach you and the evil report about you will not pass away. Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of his gifts falsely. By forbearance a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue breaks the bone. Have you found honey? Eat only what you need, that you may not have it in excess and vomit it. Let your foot rarely be in your neighbor's house, or he will become weary of you and hate you. Like a club and a sword and a sharp arrow is a man who bears false witness against his neighbor. Like a bad tooth and an unsteady foot is confidence in a faithless man in time of trouble. Like one who takes off a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar on soda, is he who sings songs to a troubled heart. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat, and if he is thirsty, Give him water to drink, for you will be heaping coals, burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. The north wind brings forth rain, and a backbiting tongue and angry countenance. It is better to live in a corner of the roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Like cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a distant land. Like a trampled spring and a polluted well is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. It is not good to eat too much honey, nor is it glory to search out one's own glory. Like a city that is broken into and without walls, it is a man who has no control over his spirit. Thank you. Welcome.
Three. Woo! He's usually the computer backup guy, so we're going to cut it. It's okay. I might need to train second Roy. Have a backup to the backup. So we're in Proverbs 25, and the title is Hezekiah. <clears throat> it says right in verse 1, these are the Proverbs of Solomon. Yeah, aren't they all? But these, this collection from here to the end of the book, the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied, organized, edited, and put into the book of Proverbs. So verse 1 is showing us a shift has occurred in the entire book of Proverbs. Um, Proverbs does not contain all of the Proverbs that Solomon wrote down, doesn't contain all of his wisdom, all of his songs are not in the Bible. So somebody had to make an executive decision somewhere at some time to change a light bulb. Maybe that's why it wasn't on. Wow, I feel like I'm in the haunted shack. There you go, that's good enough. So for some reason, God made this collection of Proverbs we're reading today and the next couple of weeks. He made those important to Hezekiah, so they should be important to you. God wants them to be important to you. That's why they're in the Bible. So pay attention whenever there's repetition in the Bible, because if you're anything like me, you don't get it the first time anyway. There's a lot of repetition of, of exact Proverbs, but also the ideas and the themes that we've been covering in Proverbs so far they're being duplicated. My big idea for you this morning is not going to be a particular verse, though we will look at a couple of verses. Uh, my big idea for you this morning is that we need to learn to read the Bible with a bigger understanding and a bigger confidence that God is still moving. God is still working. And God is still speaking on his terms and in his own divine ways. So God is still moving, still working, and still speaking. If we will see him, join him, and hear him. That's what God has always been doing. God is not just a deity who is removed, who made everything and then just cast it off and let it do its own thing. The God that we worship speaks into creation, upholds creation, and puts life into creation. He's not distant, he is near. He is speaking to us. Whenever I say that, I have to remind you of the ways that God speaks. Without showing the slide, we've done this before. What are, what are some of the ways you know that God speaks? This side, you get one answer. Scripture. Good, there's one. Other believers. That's a good one. Getting down to the harder ones now. That's not your section. I know it's usually your section, but you're over there today. So she stole prayer, which leaves one more way that God speaks for this section. You got, the, you got a tricky one there. God speaks through circumstances. So write those down. God speaks to us through Scripture. That's the clearest way that he speaks, through Scripture. He speaks through other believers. He speaks through circumstances. He speaks through prayer. 
Scripture is the one we deal with the most. Other believers, we deal with that a lot. But I've not run into anybody who has done that too much. We tend to circle ourselves with people of like mind, like place in life, like age, like experiences, and even like theology. At sometimes, even when we are listening to other believers, they're handpicked and they're saying what we want them to say. That's not always the way God wants to speak. You need to have some believers in your life who are not afraid to tell you what's up. Step on your toes. Proverbs has talked about that, right? A friend loves at all times. How? By rebuking. You, if you don't have anybody in your life that is brave enough to rebuke you, you need some more believers in your life. And if you only have people in your life that rebuke you, <laughs> you might be 10 or under. <laughs> you, you be patient. You be patient. God will bring to you people to speak his word and, and comfort you. Just stay, stay faithful. There are seasons of life when we get more than we want. Circumstances. God speaks through circumstances a lot. We just did the book of Esther in my Sunday school class this morning. That's the only way God is speaking in the book of Esther, through circumstance after circumstance. One time it's the rolling of the dice. Another time it's somebody over here, somebody over, over there. One over, it's, the whole thing is about how God speaks and moves and is sovereign over all circumstances. You may, be, you may have read scripture, talked to other believers, and it is, you know God is called me to the mission field. And then you have an accident and you're disabled. Through your circumstances, God has shown you his plan is not the mission field. Right now, maybe. Maybe after some rehab in the future, you find a new mission field. But God can speak through our circumstances, and he does. We don't always hear it. We call it luck. No. We call it chance. No. It's not luck. It's not chance. It's not random. It's God. Even the hard things. Even the tragedies, even the pain, even the suffering. God speaks through circumstances. And then I hear a lot of people talk about prayer. Yes, God speaks through prayer. Through convictions and through giving us confidence. Sometimes it's peace. Sometimes you just can't put your finger on it. You know God wants you to do something. But that's not the most important way that he speaks to you. You have to balance that out. I, it's sad. I've heard people say, God told me to leave my wife. Okay, let's, let's go back through this, how God speaks. God says he hates divorce. I don't believe he, your conviction through your prayer time trumps God's clear word. Other believers, that's me telling you, don't leave your wife. Other believers can trump and out-counsel your personal prayer time and your conviction. Your convictions can be wrong. And even if they're not outright, blatantly wrong, the timing could be wrong or off. There may need, you may need some intervention. You may need some more wisdom and help. Uh, usually in our world, 
When we say God speaks, we've got prayer first on the list. And it needs to be lower because you are deceitfully wicked. Your own heart betrays you all the time. We all exemplify selfishness and self-centeredness every day. You cannot trust your heart, no matter how many posters they put it on. Don't do it. But you can trust God and trust God is working through other people and trust that God is working through all of the circumstances in your life. And he does work through prayer. If we'll pray enough and be honest enough with him to follow his lead, his spirit can give us peace about hard decisions we need to make. But it all lines up. That's not easy to get all that lined up. It takes a lot of time and effort to pray, to wait, to listen, and to read. But God is still speaking. He's still moving. He's still at work. We need to see where he is working, join him, and hear from him. Let me skim through some of these Proverbs in chapter 25. Look, look, in, there, look in your Bible there. Verses 1 through 7. The Proverbs that King Hezekiah has put together. Verse 2, the glory of kings. Verse 3, the heart of kings. Uh, verse 5, the king. Verse 6, the king. Verses 1 through 7 are very royal. And we've covered this before because they're the words of King Solomon to his sons. Some of those sons are going to be kings. So it makes sense that there would be a lot of royal language in there. He's giving some advice. We can pull some principles out of that, but for the most part, these, these are really personal. You're reading somebody else's mail. Verses eight, nine, and 10. Talk about your neighbor, neighborly stuff. Verse eight, when your neighbor puts you to shame. Verse nine, when you're arguing your case with your neighbor. Uh, so eight, nine, and 10, very neighborly. This is, we've done that before. Verses 11 through 15, a lot of talk about words fitly spoken, verse 11. Verse 12, a listening ear, wise reprover to a listening ear. Verse 13, faithful messenger. Verse, verse 14, uh, somebody boasting. Verse 15, a soft tongue. There are a lot of proverbs about how we should handle our speech, how we should listen. They're, they're nothing new. We've, we've covered a lot of those before. Uh, verses 16 and 17 are about temperance. If you found honey, eat only enough for you. Don't get drunk on honey. Don't get drunk on wine. Don't get drunk on anything. This is about temperance and self-control and not, not being a glut. Verse 18, the importance of your testimony. Don't bear false witness. Proverbs has talked about that already. Verse 19 is a warning to not trust the wrong people. Oh, that takes some discernment. Verse 20, here's more discernment. You need to know the right time to cheer somebody up. And not everybody needs cheering up. You are like vinegar on soda. Anybody done that recently for a science experiment? What happens when you pour vinegar? You get, Sounds like you've cleaned a few of those up in your lifetime. Volcanoes and yeah. It's a common reaction, but it's also common 
that if you're trying to cheer somebody up and they're still grieving, that you might cause more trouble than help. Weep with those who weep. Know when to sing and to laugh with those who laugh. So appropriate in this, Proverbs talks a lot about discernment. Verses 21 and 22, talking about loving your enemies. It's talked about that before. Uh, Verses 23, oh man, there's a bunch. The Lord brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue. So guard your tongue, there that is again. Verse 24, the dangers of a contentious marriage relationship. Yep, seems like we've read that one several weeks in a row. They keep sneaking that one in there. Like we need to be careful, like who we marry, how we handle relationships. That's, that's a big deal. Verse 25, good news from a far country. Uh, that powerful, good news is powerful. Uh, if you haven't delivered good news to somebody in a while, do it. You haven't connected with a relative that's far away, you, you just call them and tell them you're grateful for them, thankful for them. Like, Reconnect with some people. That, that's a big deal in our world. People are more lonely now than they ever have been in the history of humanity. And they are more interconnected now than they ever have been. So put those two together. How can you be more interconnected than ever before? Pick up the phone and call somebody in China today and tell them you don't need your car warranty renewed. Like you could call people all over the place, but yet we still feel incredibly isolated and alone. Find somebody you care about. Tell them something good. A lot of that in the Proverbs. Uh, Verse 26 is just a brutal reminder that the reality we live in is upside down when the righteous give way to the wicked. That's just an observation. It's not a good thing muddied but that's the way it is sometimes verse 27 the danger of seeking your own glory that comes back to bite you and verse 28 the need for self-control lack of self-control will ruin you write this down in your notes nothing profoundly new (laughs) please don't let this be what did you learn in church today (laughs) Nothing profoundly new. Like, okay, just the same old good stuff. So why are these Proverbs here again? And I would say, second line, pay attention to repetition in the Bible. The reason the Bible repeats things is because the Bible knows you need it. I've read that before. This is not... This is not basic instructions before leaving earth. I've heard it called that before. The B-I-B-L-E. These are not basic instructions before leaving earth. This is a revelation of who God is. And it takes time to know personalities and emotions and expectations. Husbands, if you listened correctly and got it right the first time, your wife would probably be a lot happier. And if not your wife, your mama and your grandmama and everybody who has ever known you. It, ta- it, takes, it takes so much instruction and repetition and saying things the same way. And from one kid to another, 
giving them this kid one order, you need to reword that and be creative and do it to kid B and then to kid C. And hopefully you didn't forget about kid D, but they're there. You got to be careful. You have to be thoughtful. The Bible's teaching us to be thoughtful. And it's also showing us there, there's more than one way to say profound things. That, that's a really big idea in the Bible. It, it's not simple. It's complex. So read the Proverbs, understanding that complexity is there. If you want to read about Hezekiah, I just, I just picture Hezekiah. He's the king. I picture him just kind of chilling, reading all these proverbs and like, hey, those are all really good. I'm glad everybody gets those. And one of his scribes turns to him and says, well, those are not all, you've got the only copy, dude. We only did like 24 chapters for everybody else. <laughs> and he's like, oh, but these, my favorite ones aren't in there. Well, they are. Well, let's do them again. I picture the king be like, Hezekiah and his scribes, if you want to write this down, it's in 2 Kings 18 is the beginning of Hezekiah's story. It's also duplicated and abbreviated in 2 Chronicles 29. You get a lot of details about this guy was a good king. God calls him a good king. He lives 250 years after Solomon, which is the equivalent, if you were a direct descendant of George Washington, that's about 250 years. You're reading the history books, you're reading his memoirs, maybe of Thomas Jefferson, you're a direct descendant. That, that, that's the gap that's between Solomon and Hezekiah, which is pretty hefty, right? So he really valued, the only way he knows this guy, you don't have, he can't talk to anybody who knew Solomon. He just got the writings, but he has promises from God through Solomon to him. It, it's a lot closer than, than you and George Washington. And I think that moves him. At this moment in history, he also not only has the high priest and the scribes, he also has the prophet Isaiah walking around. God uses the prophet Isaiah to speak directly to Hezekiah. And in his story, he's got some awesome prayers and then he's got some awesome responses from God. It's a really neat story, Hezekiah. God uses Hezekiah to add to the book of Proverbs. If God didn't want him to, God could have told him not to. The fact that God allows him is God's approval in this particular situation. What does he add? Well, the, he uses the priests and the scribes to compile and edit. They edit several of these Proverbs and they add to the book of Proverbs. We get chapters 25 through 31. And if you know anything about chapters 25 through 31, those are not all Proverbs of Solomon. So Hezekiah is also gonna take some outside wisdom and put it into the book. It's, it's really fascinating. From 25 onward, there's going to be more wisdom. So write this down. Um, priests and the scribes compile and edit more wisdom. And they also end up, I think, through the commentaries I've been reading and our previous study on Ecclesiastes, there's, the scribes are compiling and editing more wisdom. We get the, the last third of Proverbs 25 through 31. I think this rascal has also had a hand in editing and putting together Ecclesiastes and the Song of Songs. Because they are both coming out about the same time. It's fascinating. 
When we're done with Proverbs, we're going to do an overview of Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs. We're not going to go through them as thoroughly as we've been plowing and reading out loud every verse in the book of Proverbs. Have you noticed that? We're reading the scripture out loud together. We value scripture as the primary way that God speaks to us. But Hezekiah also valued scripture. Somebody might might push back. That's kind of presumptuous of Hezekiah to think he can just start putting together books in the Bible. He wasn't presumptuous. He wasn't doing it alone. He had lots of other faithful believers around him. He had prophets. He had God. God is speaking to him specially because he's the king. He's got a little more authority than the average bear and more theology. This is, this is, this is a good person for God to actually choose to do this. He has access to the temple, access to the scrolls. He's got the most educated people in the kingdom. Like, why not? It works. Three scripture in the New Testament that help us understand what God is doing in the Old Testament. 2 Peter 1.21 says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit could also carry along the scribes and the editors to guide and preserve and protect God's word. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And Hebrews 1 brings all of it to Jesus. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom also God created the world. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Should we be surprised when Jesus speaks with wisdom? He's the fullness of God's wisdom. We've looked at it. We've looked at how several of his teachings in the Beatitudes mirror the same thing Solomon is teaching in the Proverbs. The reason Jesus blew people's minds wasn't just because he was saying new things. It was because he was saying them in ways that tightly resembled the way God has already spoken in Scripture. Just let that sink in. Jesus wasn't out to be clever. He was clever. He was teaching people not the way that the Pharisees were teaching people in their own man-made traditions and wisdom. Jesus cut through all of that and went back to the Word and made it clear that That's what Hezekiah is doing today in Proverbs. Taking God's word, putting it in here, making it clear, and passing on even more of Solomon's legacy. Because that's his legacy too. That's his family. You think Hezekiah wants his son to learn more wisdom? You think Hezekiah wants his kids to grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You think he wants to teach them what is right so when they are old, they don't stray from it? Yes. He's like, it worked for me. Let's put more in there. Let's do this. From my great, 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 great grandpa Solomon 
Yeah. Hezekiah does great things for the Bible that we have today. Ultimately, God is the author of the Bible. God used several men and women throughout history to speak it, to write it, to copy it, to edit, and to preserve it right down to your lap this morning. You have a miracle. If you have a Bible, you're holding a miracle. Proverbs is ancient, but relevant. Now I wanna turn your attention to two verses, Proverbs 21 and 22. Let me read those out loud. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. I just had an observation that I hadn't seen before. Because it feels like that last line should say, and the Lord will destroy them. That, that kind of fit the flow. If your enemy's hungry, give him bread. If he's thirsty, give him water. Because then you're heaping coals, burning coals on his head and the Lord will wipe him out. Like That seems to flow, but it doesn't say that. And the Lord will reward you. Verses 21 and 22 are giving you wisdom that you didn't ask for. God, I know how to treat my enemies. Do you? I know what to do with those who are against me and God and those who are against you. I know how to handle them. I know what I need to do. Do you? This is pretty powerful if you think of Hezekiah. Hezekiah's got an army and he has a lot of enemies. In fact, he had close to 200,000 enemies surrounding his city. 200,000 enemies who had physically torn down all the walls to every kingdom they had ever marched up to. Undefeated. Jerusalem was surrounded by the Assyrians. The Assyrians came out, spoke to the men who were on the wall in their own language, told them none of these other gods have protected them from us. Your God won't protect you. They even write a letter, throw it up on the wall. Well, I don't know if they got a mail slot or something. They put a letter in there. Hezekiah takes it into the temple, unrolls it before God. And let me just say, he just says, this is your problem. <laughs> I love this guy. I like Hezekiah. He tells all of his people, don't speak to those guys outside the wall. I think he knows. This, they're not our enemies. puts it before God in the middle of the night, the angel of the Lord goes out and slays over 100,000 troops in one breath. God doesn't even have to lift a finger. Read Revelation, the sword of his mouth. The army wakes up, some of them, and they go home without shooting so much as one arrow because they cursed God, he made them pay. 
Hezekiah is a good example to us. The people who want to harm you, the people who want to hurt you, the people who want to take things, they're not your enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle of all evil against God. If you're God's people, they're going to come through you. Yeah, that makes sense. But really, the battle is the Lord's. You want to fight? What do we sing? You fight on your knees. You bow your head. The sword is the word. We conquer by the blood of the lamb. We are more than conquerors because he loves us no matter what happens. That's different thinking than the rest of the world. Wisdom that we didn't ask for. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. That does not make sense. If your enemy is thirsty, give him water to drink. That does not make sense. If he's thirsty and if I don't give him water, doesn't that mean he'll go away and go find some water? I don't want him to hang around here. Yeah, but you're missing a point. You also don't want him to be your enemy forever. And in so doing good to those who hate you, you're giving those other people an opportunity to change. Now, if they don't change and everything you've done and they're still against you, it's like burning coals that are slowly destroying them. But if you're good, like burning coals lands, like, whoa, what in the world? And it freaks them out. It, they might pause just long enough to be like, you don't hate my guts. And you're like, you want another drink? <laughs> and they're like, you don't hate my guts. You need some more bread? Why are we fighting again? It gives God the opportunity to change your enemies into your friends. Can you think of anything else that speaks of Jesus more than that? Turning the other cheek. Hello. Praying for those who would despitefully use you. Proverbs. Again, we see Jesus is on the cutting edge of the same theology that's ever been written. A king is telling his people to love their enemies. That is crazy. We all want to fight our enemies. We all want to cheer when our enemies fall. We even smile when our enemies die. Yes. But should we? Well, I remember back in Psalm 2 that God laughs at the wicked. God laughs at the wicked. I would counter with Ezekiel 33.1. I typed it out in your bulletin. Ezekiel 33.1. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Whoa. I take no pleasure at the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn. God calls our enemies to turn to him. So when you read about God laughing at the wicked in Psalm 2, it has nothing to do with the fact that God wants to see them destroyed. It has everything to do with the fact that in all of their evil, God is not wringing his hands, worrying. God is not fretting over the evil that evildoers are doing. You know what God does when they think they are, and when evil has something to do with God? You know, he looks down, he laughs because nothing they do is going to frustrate him. 
stop him or slow him down from getting his will done. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He knows that. Jesus knows that. He's not laughing because he hates them or is mocking them, but rather he's showing that he is high above all the warfare going on in this world. They cannot scratch him. You know, it's like the old cartoon. Somebody just puts their head, puts their hand on the little head of that person just swinging and flailing. <laughs> it's, well, you know, I don't, just, just holding them back. Your dad ever done that to you, Cameron? You've been wrestling and he just holds you at arm's length and you're just like, I'm gonna get you! And he's like, yeah, right. That's what Psalm 2 is about. But God takes no pleasure in the death and the loss of the wicked. So keep that in mind. That balances out verses 21 and 22 for me a lot. The Lord is out to reward those who love their neighbors. That's, I don't think that's a stretch. Saying, give, when your enemy is hungry, give him bread. When your enemy is thirsty, give him water. I don't think that's a stretch to say that's loving your neighbor as yourself. That's not a stretch. So here's a bridge. I'm seeing a bridge from last week's lesson to this week's lesson. Because God's people are content and confident, that was last week, because Proverbs teaches us to be content and be confident in the Lord. Because we are content and confident in who God is, we can be a people who help our enemies when they are suffering. Is there a time when we need law, police, and military to stop evil from being done? Absolutely. But we as a people need to know when to help, when to step in, when to not take another life. When God wants us, <laughs> you caught me at the right time yesterday, brother. He, was, he had all these questions about stuff yesterday, Michael did, and I'm like, I just unloaded on him because I've been doing this whole sermon night. I should have just copied and pasted this sucker right to you, but I wanted you to be here. Um, is that making sense? You have any pushback on that? You don't? You've been in war? You've seen people killed? You've seen the machine? Did it fix anything? No. You can kill your enemies all day. There will be more. There's no end to enemies on this side of heaven. We'll never stop. How do we break the cycle? Kill them? Never. That's hard. What is Jesus's? Secret formula, the silver bullet. Love your God, be confident in him, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is upside down thinking, and Proverbs is full of it. That's what we're reading today. Showing kindness to people in their moment of need is the exact point of the Good Samaritan parable in Luke 10. Luke 10, Jesus tells a parable 
It's about the expectation for his kind of people and they show mercy to those who are vulnerable. I don't care if he's vulnerable and your enemy, vulnerable and a different race, vulnerable and from a different country, vulnerable and unconscious and won't even know if you walk the other way, vulnerable and anything else. If they are in need, help them. Yeah, that's Jesus's expectation for us, for his people. That's how he's building an invisible kingdom, by the way. You remember that interaction Jesus had with Pilate the night when he was betrayed, going through that sham of a, of a trial? You are a king then. Are you the king of the Jews? I mean, he's just peppering Jesus. He wants to figure things out. He's very government, right? He just, he just got a lot of questions. We're gonna figure things out. But the more he talks, like, ugh, dude. You are a king then. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Well, that, is, that means so much to me. So glad he said that. So glad he said that. <clears throat> Will we do the right thing so that God shows up? Will we do the right thing so that God can be glorified? Grace and mercy to the vulnerable. Show the next slide. We are out to win souls, not wars. As God's people, our country may decide to do other things. We may support them, uh, but we need to have a different mindset. Why our church supports missions and missionaries and outreach around the world. We should know better than others that force and might does not make right. It is only the word of God preached by God's people put into people groups. That's what changes things. That's really where we win the spiritual war. To be mean to your enemies and to want their death is to become just like them. When you just want to see your enemy die, you become as ruthless and heartless as they are. To me, to be mean to your enemies and to want their death is to become like them. And I just got to ask, is that your goal? And you may not be carrying a gun around looking for enemies, but when you go to work, do you, or you go to school, you go shopping, you're driving. What is your mentality with everybody who is against you? Do you treat them like enemies? Is it are you ruthless, brutal, harsh? Well, the enemies thing, that's all warfare talk. And I'm not, no, no, no. You, you can have enemies living in your house. How you treat them, how you put yourself above them, how you talk about them, how you respect or disrespect them. Like this enemy talk is not out there. That enemy talk is right here. It's basically you against the world. That's the very heart problem that Jesus is trying to fix inside of us. So don't be mean to anybody, even if they've been mean to you, because the second you are mean to them, you're just like them. Like, just look in the mirror. You're the problem, not them. Is that your goal? 
I close with the most practical question I could think of. Have you considered donating to the Salvation Army? So many of the people who go through the Salvation Army are people that we do not rub shoulders with in day-to-day life. Do they have problems and addictions? Absolutely. Are they fighting through stuff? Unimaginable stuff. You're comfortable, you're well taken care of. They are not comfortable. They are not well taken care of. And if we don't take care of those kind of people, they become your real life enemy very, very quickly. And whose problem is that? Ours. We're always going to have needy people around us. Jesus made that clear. You always have the poor, but uh, that, that should be a, like a battle cry. Well, let's help as many as we can. We know we're not going to help them all, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't try to help some. Help them. Help. Help this year. If your family does anything special at Christmas, have a family meeting at lunch maybe today or tomorrow. Like, what are we going to do different this year? Can all of you take a little cut in your Christmas presents (laughs) and we'll do this and we're gonna support this family and we're gonna buy these bikes or these coats and this much food. We're gonna do this. Like like rally your family together. Do something bigger than just you. Do something monumental. That was what Christmas should be about. You, You could just go to the Dollar General and buy a bunch of stuff and the little kids will be in awe. They'll love it. Christmas is about time together. Make it also about helping others. Make that a tradition in your family. Every Christmas, we do something for others. Consider donating. Consider giving. And as somebody who uh, gets a lot of donations for specific things, sometimes your money isn't what we want. You throw money at me to fix a problem, that means I need to take the time to use the money to go buy the things that'll fix the problem. That's not always helpful. I need you to go to Walmart and buy the stuff and bring it. I need you to go fix the meal, prepare it, and then serve it. I need you to make the effort to order it, to have it delivered, to unpackage it, make sure it's the right thing, and then donate it. Like, that, that's a big deal. Salvation Army doesn't just want your money. We are saving them hours and hours of labor that they can pour into people instead of having to go shopping because you gave them money. Bring stuff, church. I want the Salvation Army to know that Graceway Baptist Church values all the people in this city. Help me, please. Let's stand and pray. Bow your head and close your eyes as we conclude. Just want you to think about, wow. Think about the many ways God has taken care of you. You have to pick out a shirt to wear this morning because you have more than one. You have to dig through the trash to find a pair of socks. Probably not. Did you have to go stand on a corner with your hand out to get some breakfast? Probably not. Car start. Refrigerator full. Maybe not as much as 
could be. But if you even have a refrigerator, you are more wealthy than about 98% of this world. God, help us to not see unbelievers, violent people, or the down and out. Help us to not see anybody as our enemies. Help them, help us to see them as outreach, as souls you want to save, as people you want to bring into your family. God, there are people all around the world suffering today in war, in storms, in famine, in abuse, in conflict. We lift them up to you and we say, help them find Jesus. Use our money that we are sending to our missionaries. Use the works of all the missions agencies that are preaching the gospel. Use them, God to show the world that the ultimate answer is Jesus. Your word and your spirit. Work hard on us this Christmas, God, that we would be focused on others and less on ourselves. That we would look for creative and exciting and new ways to show Enid that you are good and that you are worth trusting. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend. Any's of Calvary. You, the perfect Holy One, crushed your Son, who drank the bitter cup reserved for me. Your blood has washed away my sin, Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied, Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. By your perfect sacrifice, I've been enemy you've made your friend pouring out the riches of your glorious grace your kindness and your kindness know no end your blood has washed away my sin Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you.
Lover of my soul, I want to live for you. Lover of my soul, I want to live for you. verses for today are from Romans 15, verses 5 and 6. Now, may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you with one voice may glorify, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>